We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Jam-packed episode today on the OBR Film Breakdown. It's myself. It's Andrew Spade. We're going through an opener. I think is going to cover a lot of our initial impressions around the game. Then after the break, you will hear my all 22 comprehensive breakdown about player grades and things I noticed on film that pairs pretty well with your write up, which will happen on Wednesday, covering your Browns and everything around the game and the things that stood out to me schematically. This is one of my favorite episodes to record, recorded a two hour chalk talk on YouTube, which is well worth your time. If you want a visual aid of the offense defense with tape and my understanding of how things went the way they went player performance and all that fun stuff one of the longest ones we've ever done but I thought a really really fun one to break down a big Browns win and um, you should check that out like I said it's it's a long one but I think well worth your time today's episode should be very informative for you talking about your Browns how it came together the 27-3 dominance before we get to it I want to shout out Mike Skinner audio Uh, that's how you find him on Twitter at Mike Skinner but with three ends in that Twitter handle Mike is fantastic and handle all your audio needs. He's putting together these weekly Browns intros that he's created the the theme song, which was so easy for him to hook up. The guy's really special. And then um, the cool thing is this year, in the absence of Jim Donovan, who we are all obviously praying for a strong recovery from cancer, is uh, away from the organization for a while, not covering the games we're going to use and uh, you know, take the CBS or Fox audio wherever the game is covered on these wins and try to provide you some of those exciting moments. So obviously, all rights to that broadcast are theirs, but we're just using them um, as a means to pump you up about your Cleveland Browns. So I think those are really cool intros. You should go to Mike if you have any sort of audio need. He has helped me out with advice on everything under the sun, including how to set up audio for anything you're doing, podcasts, whatever, and any general questions he is the go-to guy and can do some great work for you on the side if you need something of that nature. So again, shout out to Mike. Let's get going with the latest OBR film breakdown. Watson on first down, throwing towards the end zone, wide open, Ford for the touchdown. On third and ten, Gary, burying Tannehill. Play action from Watson's going to take a shot. Cooper, wide open. Touchdown. Watson to Cooper for the knockout strike. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to your Tuesday edition of the podcast. It is, uh, you know, your comprehensive film breakdown day. That means you get a lot of Jake talking to you, but I always like to break up the monotony of Jake talking to you with some Andrew Spade. Andrew, what's up, buddy? How's your Monday night going? Uh, Pretty good, Jake. You know, we're watching this podcast. Rams, Bengals, uh, barn burner, you know, it's, it's mm. like halftime and six, six. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what's going on with the Bengals is really amazing. I, I, I think we both are pretty sure that Joe Burrow is much, much more injured and, and should not be playing, but I, I, I don't understand schematic football well enough to diagnose it on the fly, looking at the TV copy, but their offense also seems to just be lacking because I, there, there is, there's just no answers consistently to to teams sitting on 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 you know sitting down low on them and and daring them to throw the ball deep and and I just I can't imagine that there's not something schematically they could do to lighten that pressure a little bit it just looks broken right now 
Well, they have no screen game. That's right. the, the, the part of this stuff. If you're going to live in the gun, you better have some answers uh, in terms of creating some ways to alleviate pressure. They have none of that. They're not able to consistently run the football with their gun run variations. And then you run into the situation where your quarterback is a statue because his calf is dangling by a thread. I respect Joe Burrow for wanting to play, but the, the level of which he's missing throws tells me he's not right. It's just something's out of uh, sync with his entire process and it's leading to a bunch of frustration. And it's another example of why living and dying by the sideline throw offense it is great in theory, and when you hit a couple of them, but you cannot live in the NFL that way. And they're an example of one dimension with um, your best player not being himself. It is, it is a recipe recipe for, for failure. Do I expect the Bengals to come out of it? I think you and I would agree, yes, they will uh, eventually come out of this and, and put together some strong performances. But, you know, you get to 0-3, 0-4, maybe 1-5, you start to run a risk of just some – yeah uh you know running your season away you know you can't just bank on last year's results where you won what was it like 12 or 13 games or whatever it was you can't do you can't live that way in perpetuity and just think everything's going to be okay and that's why you and i laughed about this idea of just kind of brushing some of these early games to the side and just believing these teams would be okay and not just like like people were all in on these like they're zero and two and being like that they'll be fine they could go back and win this Rams game and everything could be fine. But like just ignoring the possibility that it's not fine is an interesting uh, reality to live in. And and some teams are doing that reality right now. Yeah. I think that there's going to be just a ton of pressure on them. If, if, you know, if they aren't able to win this game and they go to zero and three, there's just going to be a ton of pressure the rest of the season. But you do have to say in a, in a playoff field that has, you know, seven spaces, you figure if they can get to 10 to 7 they've got a shot going 10 and 4 for them mm-hmm. certainly is not out of the realm of possibility so i'm i'm not in in the phase of counting them out but i also think that as this continues it just makes the argument that they can fix it easily harder to believe right because it, it this looks yeah. like a larger fix than what they've you know but maybe it's just as simple as one of those get right games kind of like what the browns had on sunday where they they play a a really bad pass defense and and uh, all of a sudden things look better yeah, and you, you know, it was funny how things shift, right? You, you're you talking about leading into the Bengals game, and this is the last we're going to talk about these guys, the Browns podcast, but I, I just remember the <laughs> guest, and Jake is a great guy. He's a smart dude, Jake Liskow, but um, he had mentioned, like, this is a better injury to have, obviously, than an appendectomy because an appendectomy keeps you sidelined. You can't do anything, mm. right? There's nothing you can do, and then – um, you know, once you're back, you're good, but you're behind because you couldn't do anything. At least with a calf strain, you could be around things. You could, you could kind of, you know, be involved in meetings and going out in the field and throwing and doing different things. Well, it's like, it's just sometimes that you, you kind of can, you believe what you're, you want to believe in having a nagging injury, such as a calf strain, where maybe you come back too early and it's lingering. It's never good to have those sorts of things, man, especially for throwers. That's why baseball players, this stuff, like, again, I go back to some of the stuff we've seen in Cleveland with baseball players, but these yeah. calf injuries, they they linger, man, and they can really impact who you are. And it's pretty obvious that it's impacting him. And uh, you hope that you can avoid some of these sorts of things because, you know, what makes Joe so good is it's much like if Watson had the same injury, he can't move. Like if you mm-hmm. can't move, it's so hard to, in the modern league, Uh, consistently win in the pocket and and even though you have two great outside receivers and a pretty damn good one and Tyler Boyd inside teams can figure out ways to manipulate that stuff and put you in situations where you just have to pull off hero stuff to make it work you know what I mean yeah it's it's you know what it is is a testament to the the thin margins in the NFL ultimately right Mm -hmm. there there's just a such a small gap between a team that has you know been to two straight AFC championships games played in a Super Bowl and now a team that you know I mean the offense right now is borderline unwatchable you know, uh, unless you happen to be a fan of a rival team and take delight in watching them struggle. Uh, so, yeah, you're, it's it's a real wild. I think if you'd told, you know, you're talking about that conversation you had before week one, if you'd told your guests that night and and our listeners, if you told folks they're going to be, Owen, you know, Owen two staring at Owen three and and one of the worst offenses in the league, nobody would have believed you. They would have called you crazy. Agreed. Yeah, very much. And there's some stuff here that's turned itself on on a little bit upside down in the NFL. We've seen Baker Mayfield play really well uh, through the first two games. He has not played very well tonight. Um, you know, it just it's again, it's a, it's a short sample size. And that's what we need to talk about. So short sample sizes. The Browns, uh, when we talk about this game, because we want to open with it a little bit here is 
they're dealing with historic stuff defensively. And they're, I mean, I don't have to go through the numbers. We talked about on the show that I shared on the pod last night, the, the you know, top three in terms of EPA start and history and top three in terms of, um, you know, yards allowed since 1970 something. It's, it's bananas what they're doing, like eight of 49 on third downs. I don't have the exact cumulative number, but it's, it's ridiculous. They're at the yeah. top ca- quadrant and all of these things. And maybe you have some stats in front of you, Andrew, that you can throw out. Well, my favorite, that. my favorite one is that if you rank all of the games, every team has played so far by success rate on defense, the top three games are the Browns three games. So any one of their three games is better than any other team's games. How much belief do we have that this is going to remain the thing? Like, do we, I hate this because we kind of talked about it last week, this belief and like how much confidence do we have? Is this repeatable sort of thing is what we're dealing with here. You have the Ravens, then you have the, yeah. and the Ravens are going to present a more unique challenge offensively than what we mm-hmm. have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's obvious. And then the 49ers present a guy who can scheme you. If you have a weak link in how you scheme, yeah. getting Kyle Shanahan in your doors, will, will he's like the guy who's going to root out the problem, right? He's going to run the die through everything and, and see what comes out on the other side. So um, I, I just find it that these two games coming up, one, um, nestled before the buy, you get a buy, and then coming out of the buy at home, obviously an advantageous situation. Also, considering where the Ravens are in their injury situation, which is never good, um, we're looking at a specifically interesting test in two straight weeks for this defense. And then they get some more, right? And I mean, like Anthony Richardson will be back for the Colts, and then you get the Geno Smith empty, empty driven um, Seattle offense, which creates the thing I'm trying to pin down is. Um, you know, we can come on here and say they're really good. And, and and you guys know that we've seen it. It's, do we think that this is c- continually, um, the expectation, the belief, this is who they are. And I'm led to believe. Yes. I mean, yeah. I broke it down on chalk talk for two hours. Uh, I believe that this is the version you're going to get throughout the year with some wrinkles. Like my thing is they're doing stuff, Andrew, that is so good. I just watched chalk talk. And I had not totally consumed the entirety of the Browns all 22 yet. I was finishing that up before and I had a revelation that the, that in, in the first, sorry, in the second game against Pittsburgh, they ran a very um, particular man beating route concept where they took their three guys in a bunch tight on the left, ran them all on a sort of in breaking slant type of route concept, and then took the back who was on the opposite side of the quarterback and slid him through the line of scrimmage into the flat. And it was a huge game. Jalen Warren got like 30 yards. No one covered him. Taki Taki couldn't get there. Yep. Well, the Browns gave this identical look, the chart, the, the, Titans said, we're going to do the same thing. This is the Browns first time inside a team inside their 30 yard line this year. The Titans said, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to motion this running back. We're going to put him in the backfield. We're going to re- we're going to run the same three guys running flat routes, kind of setting a natural pick without actually setting a pick. And then we're going to sneak that back underneath. The Browns gave the exact same look. They took Taki Taki, Andrew, they put him outside on the back, brought him in motion. Taki followed him. Oh, it's man to man. Everybody's lined up man to man. What'd they do? They ran zone. Juan Thornhill sitting there waiting on the back catches it two yard gain. It is so goddamn cool what they did there. <laughs> I have to write about it. If you read the OB at the OBR, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Cause I did the same thing for the offense when they ran that really great tendency beating route. Right. Yep. Um, that stuff is awesome. When you can confuse teams like that. And you and I talked about this man where we're yep. like, I want to watch the Browns play this year, and I want to point out that the that the freaking coaching staff is doing things, and the players are executing to out coach and out play, and that is what we are getting. And they they lost this damn second game. The the more you get away from it, the more you're ticked off because they should have won it. Um, they play that game ten times, they win nine and a half times, <laughs> right? And, and it's like this is a good team. I really think that the 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 madness of Pittsburgh overwhelmed some of our confidence yeah. that we should have had they're really good on that side of the ball and i think we'll talk about offense in a minute but i just want to give you the field to talk about defense i'm so excited about where they're at <laughs> yeah the, ex- the excitement is powerful. it's not phony like it's really <laughs> no, they're no, really it's, good and it's they're great really good. it's great and I, I i do remember having these conversations in in the summer and being you know optimistic that we would have these sorts of conversations to have when the game started and i think that's where we are and that's great news, right? That it's great news that it feels like Kevin Stefanski found his match on the defensive side of the ball in terms of somebody that is 
putting in the same amount of work, seeing things the same way, trying to outsmart other the other team on a weekly basis. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I think the, the big question with Jim Schwartz coming into the season when he was hired was the last time he was in the NFL with the Eagles, you know, he won a Super Bowl and then, you know, kind of walked away from a, a coordinator position because he was getting a lot of heat for not being flexible enough in his coverages. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that was the question. Is he, is he going to be, you know, he wasn't going to play the same scheme as Greg Williams, but was he going to be like Greg Williams in terms of his inflexibility, right? And I think that question has been answered so definitively through three weeks that it's not a concern that's even on my radar anymore, right? Like yeah. it was a no doubt answer over the course of the first three weeks that that's not who he is anymore. That he learned, I think, from his time in Tennessee, the value of being flexible and throwing the change up. When a team starts to think that they've got you dialed up, that's when you hit them with the unexpected zone coverage, or that's when you hit them with the, you know, the blitz where you bring an extra guy up the middle or whatever the tendency change up is that gets you the big play. He learned that skill from them. And I think, um, you know, adding that to his... Go ahead. I would say too. I, ha- I hate to interrupt you, but remember, I cannot remember the young man's name. Maybe we can look at the the uh, Browns uh, um, um, roster. Not it's not a roster coaching and um, analytics department too. They brought in a young man from the Big Data Bowl who was doing some That's specific right. research on, blitzing, on yeah. line line rotations based on pre to post blitzing. And I have to say, Andrew, they're getting some really great match now you saw the miles clip like they're going to just say i don't like it's literally hilarious to think that the titans told their two tight ends find where he's lined up and line up there i don't care if he goes back and forth you're following it's it's one of the funniest clips you will ever see if you get a chance to look at it Uh, i retweeted it and hopefully you guys have seen it um there's just sometimes where miles garrett is going to get the calvin johnson treatment you know the calvin johnson treatment picture where you have two guys um, uh, just kind of lined up over him split wide. They're doing the same thing. They're just taking two on him. Um, but they are doing a great job of getting one-on-ones and really giving those pre-snap looks that are getting lines to shift in very predictable ways. And the pressure is overwhelming. There's a specific play where Tannehill, the Browns bring five. Andrew, they drop to three deep, three under on a third and 12. And they run them, um, uh, you know, they're, they're running three routes into coverage. And Tannehill comes off that he wants to go to his throw to the right side, which is a chip release. But since you're forced to chip release, it could have been a big game. But by the time he gets to that chip release player, it is miles in the group. And I think Okoronkwo was the one who arrived home on that play on a twist. They're already there. Like it is, um, it's so fun. And there are going to be days where we're going to get frustrated, but I'm just telling you, Right now, the way they're running some split field coverages that had myself and even John Stephenson was watching Chalk Talk, like that looks like some hybrid man zone stuff going on. They are so dialed in, Andrew, to what they want to do with coverages, to looks they're getting. I could not be more impressed. Like I really could not be more impressed with the difference, the vast difference between what we saw last year, which was miscommunication city, yeah, and the in the in the run defense mm-hmm. that was so bad and getting gashed in the way they're playing with with waves of players getting penetration, um, creating sh- shrinking down running lanes, um, and it's infectious. Like the the guys up front are playing so well that it's it's matriculating to the safeties, and then the support corners, Denzel Ward and Martin Emerson, are coming in and making great tackles. Like. I don't know how you should like, like there should be somebody studying the culture shift on the defensive side that we've seen the way yeah. these guys are celebrating and having fun, man. Yes. And I think that is a big part of it too. And we've talked about that before the difference between reacting and being the aggressors and how that changes the way that you, not just the way that you play, but the way that you, uh, you know, the way that you carry your emotions onto the field. And I think the, the defense has changed from being last year, I think at times was a real anchor on the team's ability to believe in their, their themselves and, and that they could come back and win a game to now being uh, a, a balloon, you know, they're, they're buoying the spirits of, you know, the offense struggles a little bit, but the defense goes out and, you know, has a, th- a three, you know, three and out that creates negative yardage and the offense is right back on the field. And that momentum is palpable. And, and I think, you know, I, I, we talked about this last night, you could feel it in the stadium. 
you know, on, on Sunday and you could, and I think it, it comes through the TV. It's so strong. So I think that is as you know, the scheme stuff is number one, undoubtedly, right. Cause he's putting players in positions to be successful, but I don't think you can undersell giving what it mat, what it means to give a talented bunch, a, t- a team that's t- as talented as this on the roster, that self-belief that they have now. And I think, you know, the, the thing about that Garrett clip with him just screwing with the tight ends for the Titans is that it's that's about him knowing that well if they keep motioning they can't snap the ball and that's just yep. the supreme confidence of knowing right now I'm dictating what they can and can't do if I keep moving they can't run a play so you know he talked to Ben Bloom you know he talked to Bloom and yeah. said hey man they're following me wherever I go we've switched me to this side that side I don't have the number up in front of me but I know he's been moving yep. he's like they're following me what if I just go back and forth they mm-hmm. they definitely said on the sideline yeah try it yeah. Let's see what happens if you just move back and forth. I, I like that stuff tells you where they're at. Exactly. That they are so comfortable with their core group on defense to be able to do this stuff. I saw one play where I thought the Titans actually had a non-fade ball throw, a chance to make something decent happen for themselves. It was a long third down. Tannehill got away from um, Okoronkwo ran the arc. He slid out of the pocket right and threw a deep ball mm-hmm. off of a broken play and missed Burks. That was the that was the only one where Thornhill yep. just a beat behind him yep. uh, to cover that all the way across the field. That's it. There was yep. no like, there's nothing phony about what you're seeing here. There's and, nothing and phony about it. That but that play does bring me to I think the one thing that I want to see. I think the remaining question is, and I think we could have potentially seen this week one if Joe Burrow was healthy. You know. They probably would have, we would have gotten this answer. What happens when they play a team that is very comfortable protecting and running these long developing deep routes, right? When they really stress the secondary to cover for more than two or three seconds, because right now the secondary is really getting used to playing downhill, playing quickly, taking away the first read, taking away the first move. Yep. But that, that play that you pointed out is a great example of that's, that's four or five seconds where he's rolling out to his right and Burks was open. So what happens, you know, and I think, you know, you mentioned Geno Smith and the Seahawks. If their tackles are back healthy, their offensive line is pretty good. Uh, there's a, The thing is, there's not many teams in the NFL that can do this, so it's not a huge concern, right? But, I yeah. mean, one of them, frankly, is is Lamar Jackson. He can certainly extend plays with the best of them. So if he is able to, I think one, one of the interesting things, I'll interrupt myself to ask you this question, Jake. What are they going to do? I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but thinking ahead to Baltimore, what are they going to do to pressure him? Are they going to go all out whole hog and try and get him on the ground quickly? Or are they going to leave somebody late to kind of come in and clean things up? How are they going to approach that? Their rush plan this week will be so interesting because I know they're going to get pressure, but often with Lamar, it's not the first guy. It's the second or the third guy that you need to get home. Yeah. Yeah. You either shrink that pocket so much that he can escape um, or you have a heightened sense of awareness for if we're going to be arc running rushers, our defensive tackles are sitting there ready, driving, bull rushing, ready to pounce one way or the other. I was looking at the PFF pass block efficiency rating stuff here to see when the Browns might come up against a team who's performed really well early in the season. The number one team, and this is kind of driven by, um, you know, it's driven by the depth of some of the throws here. The Colts are yep. one of the better ones. We've actually seen so far, they've only given up, I think, like um, their their number's pretty strong. I think they've given up 24 pressures. They have a 90.8 efficiency, but they're RPO driven. So the ball's out. Uh, the ball's out pretty quick. If you're looking at the top, I mean, Cincinnati's only played two games, so that doesn't necessarily count. Baltimore is probably the the, the Baltimore and Indy are, are eighth and ninth, respectively. Mm-hmm. And then the Browns play Arizona, who's, who's, who's ninth, tied for ninth. We'll see. Arizona doing some fun things. When San Francisco's at 13, but I I don't find San Francisco to be um, a, a strong, efficient group. They're actually 19th from an efficiency number perspective, and I don't think they have a ton of talent outside of Trent Williams. So there's a chance here, even in the midst of some of these teams that are pretty efficient schemers, to just be like, we don't have an answer because we can't block these guys up front. And it's particularly fun to me when I watch these guys, you know, <laughs> just rush four and get home on these third and eights and play cover two and take away the short answers uh, in, in the in the in the system. It's it's just 
uh, it's such a well, I, I don't I mean, I don't want to sound desperate here, but it is such a welcome thing considering what we watched over the years. But let's switch over to offense before we get out of here. This is an intro that's going to be a half hour. That's just what we do. <laughs> that's how we do it. I thought after the Jerome Ford touchdown, a weight lifted. Mm. After they hit that throw, a weight felt lifted. Watson had on that same drive, had that goofy backward pass yep. that I, I broke down. Again, if you want to see it, it's on the Chalk Talk YouTube replay. You can find it. They felt it felt like, okay, let's settle in. And from there, even though I think, listen, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more granularly with the with the the stuff that I'm going to cover in uh, the, the comprehensive breakdown in just a minute is the Tennessee played really well. Like they covered everything except for one broken play when the game was already over. It was 20 to three. They covered bootleg and play action and run fit as well as any team. I swear, man, I'm not making this up to make Browns fans feel better as well as any team. I think you will see all year. The Browns fan found very few schemed up opportunities. They, they found a broken play for a big one. They found a, a couple really great sideline drop-in throws from Watson that were special, and Amari Cooper was dynamite in this game. Uh, they had the schemed-up Ford touchdown, but I'm telling you now, to put up 27 on those guys when you didn't get a single turnover or short field to do that, I thought it ended up being a really good game, and I, I'm interested now that they feel like we know we played Tennessee. They have a great, great defense, historic rush defense over 17 games if they play a little more loose and free and have fun because I thought and I'm sure you noticed it too the touchdown to Cooper like Watson and 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 Deshaun having a moment there of like Mm -hmm. we can do this stuff we can find these answers we can create big plays was a a a, just a, a a euphoric moment for them to feel like we can have the same fun the defense can have too right and and I think that has um you know I I hope it, it it perpetuates into some of these upcoming games for them because they had a short week. It was not a lot of time to, sh- to shift some of their prep. Um, and now they get a little bit of a longer setup, right? They can get a little bit normal and then go into the bye week and do some more tweaking. I, I'm just curious your thought of uh, your first watch, and maybe you had a little bit of a chance to, to, to watch a little more and, and talk about these guys. Yeah, I, th- I think what you're talking about with a shift is, you know, it's something that I think we keep looking for. You know, there was a moment in that Cincinnati game where Watson kind of got sandwiched between two pass rushers. And then I think it was going to the halftime and and the rest of that drive he was right on. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it seems like it's happened a few times where he's kind of clicked into place. And then obviously, you know, what happened in Pittsburgh happened. And uh, but, yeah, it felt it felt like the the tide really turned over the course of the Tennessee game. And I think the the single stat that I'm kind of hanging my hat on in terms of the Watson's performance specifically is that, uh, you know, there's a metric completion percentage over expectation, right? Which is a way of measuring, you know, how open your receivers are and what, you know, the statistical, uh, expectation of your completion percentage would be. Uh, so it, so his CPOE was 19.2 so that, you know, his completion percentage was in the eighties based on how well the Titans covered his completion percentage should have been in the low sixties. Right. So that's, one measure of him making throws and you know you can think of a handful of them right back shoulder throws mm-hmm. a few sideline balls that were really well thrown um he's making he in that game was making throws where it wasn't still a ton of anticipation but the accuracy was really strong for a lot of the game and so um yeah i i think anytime you know you're going to have those sorts of numbers it's a it's an impressive performance and i have a lot of respect for the titans defense i know that they're Pass defense has not been as strong so far this year, but I think overall, you know, it's a well-coached defense that tends to get the most out of their talent, and they were really struggling to slow the Browns down at times. So I think it's a good confidence-building performance for the Browns. You know, I think you saw some – we talked about this last night on the postgame show. You saw some idea of what, you know, a three-headed backfield with Ford, Hunt, and Strong is going to look like where they've got sort of three unique skill sets that that all can play at different times. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Elijah Moore is going to get in there a little bit, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, so I, I was encouraged. And I think, you know, you and I were pretty pessimistic about where things were headed going into the game. I think it's, you know, it's important to bring that up again. Um, and, and, you know, we were, in all transparency, we were exchanging texts at the beginning of the game, like, 
this is, you know, this, it was awfully gimmicky at first with a lot of reverses. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was all very compressed. Uh, and it was, you know, it was clear that, you know, they, they were being very conservative, not trying to overexpose Watson. I think the benefit of that, that ended up playing out in front of us was that he gained confidence as the game went on and started to hit some higher difficulty throws. And I think and they had to be. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. He had to make those throws and he did. And I think when you see him and Watson, uh, him and Stefanski celebrating, that's about, you know, they're celebrating, Hey, you know, they, I mean, the Browns won this game because of their defense, right? Anytime you hold another team to three points, you know, you're probably going to win the game no matter how bad your offense plays. But as far as where their production came from on offense, they, you know, they scored points because the quarterback was throwing the ball well and the pass game moved the ball. They, they were not going to score a ton of points if they had to run the ball every down. So I think the celebration there is the quarterback and the coach acknowledging we can win this thing through the air when we need to. To me, again, it wasn't, and this is not meant to disrespect Tua, but go look at the CPOE stuff. Like, there are guys, there were not guys running wide open. And I don't think it's because Kevin didn't call some decent game or anything. Yeah, It's just that I thought, again, Tennessee has, they've they've viewed that offense from their own side between, you know, the years that they spent with Arthur Smith as the OC. They know it. They They have felt what it feels like to play up against that style of offense a lot and they covered everything so well the browns had to make throws make catches and do everything right to put themselves in a position outside of one play again to win that game and they did it and and that's that's a huge credit to them for getting that done there will be more i i know there will be more open throws against the, the ravens they're good defense but there there will just be more open throws for them to make so uh it, it's encouraging it's not like they didn't shift everything about who they are. They still were very similar structurally, ran a lot of bootlegs. They did a lot of the same stuff. I still want to see that stuff shift, but asking them to shift it in five week or five days, excuse me, yeah. is really hard to do. We'll see if they sort of, as the season wears on, they go more and more toward the place I think they need to go, which again, Andrew, I thought they protected really well on some shotgun play action stuff that created uh, some nice throwing lanes for Watson. We'll see if that continues to manifest itself in some 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 times where the, the coverage gets a little confused and they call the right, the right scheme at the right time. And they do need to do more stuff against man coverage in predictable pass situations. It's third and eight, third and five, six, seven, eight. And like you got you know, you're running three by one. You need to motion, you need to move people around pre-snap to make it hard, right? Make some switch releases, some motion at the snap where you create a crisscross and you create a natural pick. Like they need to do more stuff against predictable man to, uh, to, to give themselves more chances, right? They, 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 I just don't think they're hard to cover right now. They're not hard enough for defenses to prepare for and cover. They need to do more there. We'll see if they get to that. Maybe they're saving some of that for some different situations. I don't know. I think you would try to do that stuff often. But nonetheless, um, I feel pretty good about this guy. I don't know how he could feel bad. The offense moving in the right direction. I still want to see some schematic tweaks. But Watson, at the average, above average, I thought good in this game level that if you get this defense – with a quarterback playing above average to a good game. And again, I think it was a good game. Mm -hmm. This can be the result, Andrew. This yeah. is the formula, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look around the league right now, this can, this team can be special playing at, at the level they played against Tennessee. If they play that level week in and week out, they can be very special. And so, you know, I, you said earlier that the, the longer you get away from the Pittsburgh game, it's bothering you more. I, it actually is bothering me less. That's good. Because, That's good. Because well, I'm just bragging about my mental health. Uh, because, no, it, it's I. I think it really. I said this. I think I said this to you yesterday, or or I. Anyway, it really a lot of that game just comes down to what happened with Nick Chubb. It really yeah. does, and and it's it's hard to stomach that as a Browns fan. It's hard to know that the injury is sort of two losses in one. But I think that's the that's the clearest truth. If you listen to Kevin Stefanski's post game speech you know, half of that speech is about Nick Chubb and what it meant to lose that player on a short week. And so, you know, the, the announcers during the game yesterday were talking about that Pittsburgh, uh, or this was during the Sunday night game. They were talking about the Steelers saying that that game against the Browns was one of the more physical games they'd ever been in. Kenny Pickett said it was the most physical game he'd ever been in. So they, that 
you know, was close to being the game that the Browns win to get that monkey off of their back. They couldn't get it done. A lot of that goes to, you know, losing their best player and one of their leaders in a horrific way. I think you get away from it a little bit and it's understandable that those things happen. It hurts because it's the Steelers. It hurts because it's a divisional loss. Yeah. But a little more perspective and you start to zoom out on what this defense looks like and the arrow is pointing up for the offense. I agree with you about some seeing more changes. The arrow is pointing up. So as far as where they're at right now, to me, it's a top five defense with an offense that is improving week over week. That, if you go back to preseason, that and a two and one record after three games, you would take. So, yeah, with, yeah. with Baltimore coming into your place with a two and one record, you know, they have another opportunity, just like the game in Pittsburgh was an opportunity. This game against Baltimore is another opportunity to kind of put some things to rest and really lay a claim to this division. Well, the thing you, you want to understand is, you know, Nick had 65 yards on 10 carries in the second exactly. quarter when he left. Exactly. And every like i think the biggest thing that you're 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 making a great point i i think we all knew nick was valued and loved by the franchise and the and his teammates but wow like it it goes beyond that like i don't know that i have seen a more universally loved football player in the nfl uh i mean I'm, there have been jj watts and yep. you know and I, I get, he's in that group he's in that conversation of, he's yes. in that group yes. of just league wide respect and a franchise that although they don't always put him in front of the public the way he, he you know if you know nick you know he's very reserved quiet he dealt with the speech impediment growing up he doesn't like to talk he's open he actually the fun thing was how much he opened up before yes. the season doing some podcasts and stuff and how much his personality is great mm-hmm. and i i man i just really hope that we continue to hear the great news about what yes. could have been and what will be but you're right the way they lost him and in in the game plan is built around him and the mm-hmm. way they lost him and that impact on everybody. So you're talking about offense improving week over week. And I think people would be like, well, hell, they didn't improve in week two. Let's let them have some games here where they're not dealing with an absolutely jarring injury yeah. that changes the entirety of the game plan and the feeling around your organization because you had a huge part of it get hurt. So I mm-hmm. think you look at week one, you saw some progress. You look at week three, I think we saw some progress. I'm very excited for week four. Should be a lot of fun. Everything is breaking the Bengals way since we started this podcast, of course. Yeah. Uh, it seems to, to, to work uh, against us in uh, those scenarios. But listen, this is a great opener. A lot of stuff covered here. Shout out to Dustin Hopkins, who continues to make us feel really confident in the kicking mm-hmm. game. That's a great thing. Kicked an over 50-yarder, which yeah. was awesome. Split the uprights, nailing kicks left and right. Love it. Um, the Browns are in a good place. You should be excited. And we had a, a fun week of content coming for you guys. Uh, over the next few days, we'll get with Jordan Zerm. We'll have Andrew in a couple more times. Some really good stuff. Um, Andrew, thanks for being here, man. We appreciate you taking a little time away from this Monday Night Football brawl to uh, to give us your, your your quick thoughts on the game. Yeah, the Bengals have uh, got the horseshoe right now for sure. They're, they're playing with a lot of luck. So uh, hopefully it dissipates. Always a pleasure, Jake. Listen, we'll be back. We're going to... Um, switch over and do more of our uh, comprehensive breakdown, both both offense and defense. I'll talk to you about some of the things I saw, player grades, etc. Uh, so we are going to take a break and a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, 
comedy and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, now we shift over and talk through some comprehensive notes that I've taken from studying the tape, all right? So, um... You know, the Browns offense, we'll start there, was rather diverse in um, some of their personnel, more than they have been, even though they were a high-volume 11 personnel, 72 true media recorded snaps, 49 were in 11 personnel, but they actually did two formation groupings I have not seen them put together, which is 0-1 personnel, which is one tight end and five, uh, sorry four running backs. They did that five times, and then they did... Zero two personnel, which is two tight ends, three wide receivers, no running backs, four times. They did their 12 personnel six times, two of which came with an additional tackle. They did, um, sorry, six times, so eight in total with 12. And then 13 personnel four times, so one back, three tight ends, and the additional linemen, usually Nick Harris and Michael Dunn, an additional two times. So um, the let's see here the titans played 13 snaps of base which is usually how they matched up with the 12 and 13 personnel and 46 snaps of nickel obviously with 11 and then when they ran their dime on third downs the browns had really good success against that actually they had four first downs of those 12 snaps they had four first downs against it and then three penalties drawn those those um holding or defensive pass interference plays that worked out really well so you like to see that. Otherwise, notes that I think mattered, you have uh, they faced 20 snaps of man-to-man from the um, from the Titans, and that um, man-to-man look, Watson went 8 of 10 for 91 yards, which it's interesting because that was the 21st highest EPA, so it was not a very strong number um, collectively, but the 8 of 10 for 91 is pretty good. So the EPA number is not great, but the, the actual yardage output is uh, was pretty fine uh, to me. Um, so that's 21st across all quarterbacks in week three. He faced cover three 24 times. He went 8 of 11 for 65 yards. He faced quarters coverage 18 times. The Titans are pretty diverse in what they do. He faced that. He had a .90 EPA, which was among the best top five in week three. He went 6 of 7 for 96 yards, and both of his touchdowns came against quarters coverage. Cover 2, cover 6, he saw 8 times. A reminder, cover 6 is you're going to get a um, half-quarter-quarter with a down corner, usually a boundary concept that's called to, to, to take away easy throws for the quarterbacks to beat the rush. He was 5 of 5 for 37. So, again, I think a pretty strong day metrics-wise for Deshaun. He was 5th uh, in time to throw. So that, you know, is, is sort of on brand right there with like Mahomes and Josh Allen. You'd like that to speed up just a little bit if you could. But this was a good Watson game from a metric perspective because the Titans, they played some really, really tight coverage. He had the seventh best EPA, according to True Media, on throw um, throw EPA. So just the times that he actually did release the football, it was really strong. I know that there was some stuff out there, again, about some of the Ben Baldwin collected um, 
CPOE data, which I think is is important to look at too, because it gives a different perspective on how that's clicking. That's completion percentage over expected, which in this one, I thought there were a lot of times where the coverage was so tight that it was going to reward him for completing passes with very minimal separation. So um, according to the CPOE Baldwin data, which I thought was, again, where Watson shined, he had the fifth best game by EPA of any quarterback this season and the single best completion percentage versus expected by any quarterback all year just in that game alone. So the the grade from Pro Football Focus, they give him a 73.6 pass grade. They award him two big-time throws. I'm imagining the turnover-worthy throw is the ball that he threw backward. Uh, although they gave him a fumble mark, I'm not sure what their other turnover-worthy throw would be. If you watch the Chalk Talk, maybe... Like maybe it is that ball that he left on the first drive upfield a little bit that the Titans defender didn't react to, but uh, overall thought it was strong. He threw for 12 first downs, had a really strong passer rating, and ends up on the day 27 of 33, 289, two touchdowns. You have to like that. As far as some of his other metrics, when kept clean, and this is keeping up with his year-long kept clean. If you can keep Watson clean in the pocket, keep the pressure away, that's where he's thriving right now. He was 23 of 25 for um, 248 yards, two touchdowns on 26 dropbacks, and 83.5 pass grade. When he was under pressure, which didn't happen a ton in this game, but when he was under pressure, 4 of 8 for 41 yards, that's when the turnover-worthy play is uh, accredited there. And then when he wasn't blitzed, he was 23 of 26 for an 83.4 grade, 264 and two touchdowns. And when they did blitz him on nine dropbacks, he was 4 of 7, 25 yards. So the blitz really messed with things. I thought they got a lot of pressure on him, and that's where the fumble occurred. So that drug his grade down a little bit. The non-play action stuff, again, I continue to say uh, the Titans covered it really well, but I also thought um, this is where Watson's sort of best in the empty looks or, or things from the gun that our straight drop is when he was best in this one. He was 18 of 20, 177 in a touchdown, an 85.3 passing grade on non-play action. On play action, 17 dropbacks, 9 of 13, 112 in a touchdown in those scenarios. The turnover-worthy play came on a play action. He uh, screen throws 5 of 6 for 43 yards, and then non-screen, 22 of 27, 246, two touchdowns. Really strong 20-plus yards downfield grade in 91.7 which he had four or five completions, great throws up the sidelines. DPJ obviously caught one of them. Another slew of them went to Amari. Uh, some great stuff. Both of those big-time throws came up the sideline. Like I said, four or five, 116 yards. The second best was medium, where he was three or four for 39. Short, zero to nine yards uh, of depth. He was a 66.6, be, being he was 12 of 13 for 77 yards. And I think they just judge accuracy uh, pretty harshly on that one. The left side throws is where I thought he was really good. Intermediate left and deep left were some of his highest grades, his two highest grades. Two of two intermediate left for 27, two of two intermediate, or sorry, deep left for 44 in that touchdown. So you think the forward touchdown, you think the deep shot touchdown to sort of close out the game, those, those make sense. As far as the rest of the offense goes, your highest snap count guys, uh, the offensive line, obviously, uh, all of those guys play the 72 snaps, 66 from Watson before uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson came in. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, your leading snap count receiver at 63. Amari Cooper, 57. Elijah Moore, 54. And Joku for 52. Jerome Ford leads the running back charge with 40 snaps. Kareem Hunt gets 14. Pierre Strong gets 8. So that's a pretty big discrepancy. Jordan Akins finds the field 13 times. Cedric Tillman finds the field 11. David Bell, 10. Only five snaps in this game for Marquise Goodwin, two for Michael Dunn, one for Nick Harris. So that gives you an idea of snap count volume. Now looking over running back stuff, which again, these are not going to be pretty rushing grades um, when you look at those because, again, it's such a hard run defense. But Pierre Strong gets the best mark. He had six carries, 27 yards, a 72.9 run grade, 25 yards after contact, forced one missed tackle. And that was on four gap schemes, two zone schemes. Uh, Harrison Bryant with his quarterback sneaks gets the second highest. He has two rushes for four yards um, right on that. that that's going to work. You can keep doing it right. Kareem Hunt goes five attempts, 13 yards, gets a 69.2 run grade, 15 yards after contact, one missed tackle forced ran really strong. He actually only had zone runs, zone runs uh, four times in one gap run. I'd like to see that flip a little bit. Watson had three rushes, 16 yards, obviously includes the fumble. He had a 62 rushing grade. 
Um, he didn't force two missed tackles. Jerome Ford gets a 56.8 rushing grade. I don't know that it was that bad. I actually think that's pretty harsh. He had that touchdown run. He had 31 yards after contact, which tells me that he's getting contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage quite often to create some yards over expectation in this one. Pass blocking grades, uh, Ford received an 81.0 on, um, I'm not sure how many pass blocking reps he would have gotten, but he received a strong grade, Kareem 70.7, and Pierre Strong is 72.4. Receiving grades in this one, uh, there's not a ton of guys that got targets, so there's there's a very limited number of six guys. Highest went to Kareem Hunt, who catches two of three targets for 22. Amari Cooper, who I thought was ridiculously dominant, eight snaps in the slot, 31 out wide. Created eight yards after catch, but if you take away the referee mistake on the sideline, like, come on, man, that's another 40 yards. Even without that, drawing the penalties he did, I, I don't understand how he's a 72.5. He didn't have a drop. He caught four of four contested targets, four first downs. He drew three penalties. This is kind of silly. I, I hate this grade. It should be so much higher because he dominated that football game. Elijah Moore had nine targets, caught all nine of them for 49 yards. He gets a 64.9, obviously hindered by his fumble grade. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I thought Moore was good. He's fine. I'd like to see him break some more tackles and create after the catch, and um, it, maybe that'll come, right? But but they're using him in a wild amount of ways. I would still prefer him to be less gadget, more true receiver, because he can run some really crisp routes, and I think that I was afraid of some of this they're doing. Needs to be a little bit more of maybe Goodwin doing some of that stuff. Peoples-Jones has three three catches on four targets, 49 yards, a 70.5 mark for him. Ford has a drop. They gave him a drop. I I don't think that ball was a really I, – I highlighted it on Chalk Talk if you want to see. It was a third and four where Watson tries to check it down to him, but he's hidden behind Dewan Jones, and the ball really wasn't at his – in a really, really catchable spot, put it that way. One of the few times Watson missed, he gets a 29.9. And Joku gets a 72.1, catches all four targets for 20 yards. Really thought he was uh, going to pop a long screen. You got to check that one out. Anyway, Ford, um, he has that touchdown catch too. So he catches two of three, 33 yards. And a great route to catch that touchdown. I've covered it in several different places now. Your pass blocking grades for your offensive lineman. Highest mark goes to Dewan Jones, who continues to impress. The length, the ability to move the feet, all of it is so impressive for him, man. A 75.4 pass block grade. He did not surrender a pressure. He was strong. Probably your second best offensive lineman was Wyatt Teller, 69.3 in pass pro. He didn't allow pressure. Thought he played a relatively clean game. Posich, Betonio, kind of the same. Joel ended up giving up three pressures. Not Joel's best work overall. Um... And then Ethan Postage gets a 62.3. He he had one pressure allowed, and he gave up a sack. Jed continues to be an enigma, sometimes so clean, other times so sloppy. He ends up with three pressures, two hurries, and a quarterback hit allowed. He has a 51.7. Other guys who received uh, more pass-blocking reps, Njoku had three and Jerome Ford had three, both of which did fine and received fine pass-blocking grades. The run-blocking is not good, obviously because Tennessee has such a dynamic front, right, that that makes it so challenging. So your offensive line, they did not have anybody with a grade above 63.6. I thought that they did not do a very good job taking care of the first level double teams and working those double teams to communicate to get to the second level. Too many times they were quick off of, a, of an initial double team to climb and it, and it burnt them. Somebody shot a gap, right? And when you don't have the two take care of the initial one to climb to the second to keep those eyes up to see who needs to take care of the runner, once that linebacker dictates which direction he's going, um, it just wasn't good enough. And in a couple plays, too, uh, I'll highlight this in the All-22 write-up. They have two people blocking one person when they need to communicate and have an understanding of who's supposed to take the other guy. So um, I thought they left meat on the bone. They ran for 78 yards, which is no... Getting to 100 on Tennessee is no easy task. Literally a historic 17-game stretch for them and run defense. But they had chances. They had real chances to get there, and it's a bummer they didn't. Postage gets a 63.6, 54.5 from Batonio, 54.9 from Dewan. Wyatt Teller, one of his sloppier run-blocking days, I would think. A little, a little too 
um, top heavy at times and just didn't get the foundation. He normally does a 49.4 and then Jedrick Wills a 57.4 Harrison Bryant and 11 run blocking snaps gets a 73.1. He leads the entire group and Joku gets a 44.9, one of his lower marks and 20 run blocking snaps. So the highest thing, two things that stand out, Amari Cooper gets 18 run blocking snaps. He does a great job in zone and 85.3 and then Bryant's gap grade on gap schemes, power counter, and the like, he gets a 75.2. From the O-line specific gap scheme stuff, Jedrick Wills had a pretty good game gapping down and being where he was supposed to on those in 85.8. And then Postage gets a 67.7 on those gap schemes as well. Not Again, not a banner day by any stretch of the imagination for those guys. Um, I should have mentioned true pass sets, which those true pass sets are predictable third and longs um, type of late game down in the, in the scoreboard scenarios. There were 13 of which took place for the Browns. Batonio and, and Jedrick Wills, um, Batonio gave up three pressures in that setting, which is so rare for him, and Jed gave up one. Those were your two bottom scores. Just wanted to illuminate on that. Otherwise, for the offense, the motion stuff remains a concern for me, right? That's um, something I'm drawn to. They're 25th in the NFL and third down motion percentage. They're seeing a ton of man-to-man, and they're not doing well enough with that man-to-man coverage and creating some easy releases and opportunities for guys to get off of sticky coverage. They have to uptick. They had about a 50% um, uh, motion percentage in this game, which is okay. They've run the most plays in the NFL through three weeks, largely because their defense is off the field so much. Their 220 plays is first. The second highest is 218. So, while they have a higher volume of motion plays, the percentage of plays against using motion is nowhere near where I want it to be. They've got to get better. I don't know why, since 2020, Kevin has trended down in motion usage. They need the best teams, Chiefs, uh, Miami, right? The best teams, the, the Rams, they use motion. They use it to create advantages. The Browns have got to do more of it. They're not doing enough. And they're sitting there, you know, putting themselves in lame duck situations on those third downs. And and they're quite honestly, we're lucky. Um, you know, you have Amari, you've gotten him, he's your guy, but he got some flags. He drew flags in some of those tight coverage situations, and you cannot always bank on that. So um that's cov- that's covering the offense. The defense was so fun. Fifty-two snaps. Of those fifty-two snaps, only ninety-four yards allowed, twelve of which came in base, twenty sorry, thirty-one came in nickel, nine came in dime. The Titans played 11 personnel for 36 snaps, 13 personnel for 12. They played 0-2 using two tight ends and three receivers. Those two tight ends were chasing Miles Garrett on three snaps and 13 personnel one snap. Um, They played uh, their typical coverage usage. They had 15 snaps of man coverage. That's cover zero, cover one, and two man. Usually it's just cover one, a deep free safety. They played... Uh, 15 snaps of cover three, and then they played two really fun hybrid snap coverages, which are like half field, uh, split field, some man, some some um, some front side zone, some backside man. Uh, sometimes they can call it an invert two on one side. They're they're getting funky with coverages, and it's really fun to watch them do that. So um, those are things that stood out to me when you look at what they did from a pass perspective against Tannehill. I thought they made him really uncomfortable, but they didn't blitz as much as you would think, right? So I, I only have eight blitzes. He was three of six for 16 yards, but they got so much pressure on him. He was only 12 of 18 for 104 yards. When he was under pressure, he was one of seven for zero yards. You know, it's funny. He gets a higher game grade than Watson, um, a passing grade in this game. Uh, for going 12 of 18 for 104 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt. So you really got to look at the the big picture when you're talking about some of these grades on top of the CPOE and stuff. Like you got to get a bunch of different places worth of data because it's wild to think that, that, that Ryan Tannehill played a better game, a better passing game than Deshaun Watson. So um, a nice job of varying things up at the front four wrecked havoc, man, of, like I said, 30 dropbacks, only blitzing on eight of those um, is pretty stellar. And the results they got, three of six, 16 yards, was fantastic, right? Really, really great stuff. The coverage is is constantly moving. They did a nice job with it. They're very much in sync. You'll see at the OBR tomorrow an article about what they did week two 
and how they fixed it against something Tennessee did to try to exploit an example of an issue they had in week two. Your best grades, Miles Garrett, a 93.3 and 36 snaps. Alex Wright played 16 snaps and 90.5. Maurice Hurst, an 89.6. JOK, an 87.1. Anthony Walker, an 84.9. I thought all five of those guys were elite. Zadarius had a 70.7. I thought he was great. Denzel, a 68.7. Thought he played a nice football game. Grant Delpit a 67.7. They kind of gave him, uh, because of a missed tackle, he gets hurt a little bit in his tackling mark. But I thought Grant Delpit was great filling. Okoronkwo gets a 66.2. Then of other players with meaningful snaps, Sione Takitaki a 62.1. These are fine. Those are average to above average games. Who they marked is not playing well. They gave Dalvin Tomlinson in 25 snaps a 37 grade. I don't get that like, at all, <laughs> at all. Cam Mitchell, who did a great job, in my opinion, stepping in. He had the one miscommunication on a, on a late motion from the Titans, but otherwise was in the right place all day, did a great job in coverages, narrowly missed on that ball up the sideline before half. So he does give up 56 yards in coverage, 33 of which came on one play. But I thought he was fine. He does get docked with a missed tackle, but... You know, first game in the NFL, really out there and starting. I thought he did more than adequate, given uh, the volume of 33 snaps, um, 28 of which came in the slot, two at a true corner alignment, two in the box. Like, yeah, that was really great stuff from Cam Mitchell. And that grade, I don't think, reflects how the player played. Juan Thornhill and Jordan Elliott are in the high 50s, 57.1. They credited um, Thornhill pretty well and his tackling mark, but the coverage grade wasn't great. I think they probably are docking him because of the late scramble throw Tannehill missed. I thought Thornhill was more than fine. And I thought Jordan Elliott was pretty disruptive too. 68.5 pass rush grade makes sense to me. Run defense is 65. So he has all these scores in the sixties yet. He grades out at a 57.2. It makes total sense guys. Uh, I just use these as a meaning to tell you some of the baseline stuff. And if I don't agree with it, I will let you know. JOK at 82.3. This is run defense grades. He had uh, two stop tackles. 88.5 for Zadarius, who set the edge like a mean SOB all game. He's so fun to watch. Anthony Walker's flying around, reading, deciphering. Had a great pass breakup down near the goal line, dropping under a backside dig. Love that from him. Um, had had a great 76.3 run grade. Uh, did a nice job stepping up, filling his run fits. Maurice Hurst is 75.5. What a signing he has been. He is, oh man, just to have that as your fourth defensive tackle, and you just hope this can continue because he is playing great football. Martin Emerson, a 73.3 tackle grade, or sorry, run defense grade. Alex Wright, 72.0. Miles, 70.0 with a, a stop tackle. Two stop tackles for Alex Wright. That's very encouraging. At the bottom, you have Cam Mitchell with a 48.8. You have Denzel Ward, a 49.4. Grant Delpit, a 52.6, largely because these guys had a missed tackle, all three of them, so that docks them down below a 50. And then Sione Takitaki, 53.6. And I just couldn't disagree more with Dalvin Tomlinson at a 53.8. I think that's nonsense. Um, anyway, those are your run defense grades. Pass rush, Miles had a 93.2 and an 89.8 from Alex Wright. Miles had a total of nine pressures. He was unbelievable. He does these uh, multiple times a year. You take him for granted. He's credited with four sacks from PFF. Um just an absolutely nuts 34.6 win percentage as a lead as it gets was six pressures, three sacks on true pass rush situations too. So those true pass situations, he even had a higher win percentage rated of 42.9. Andre Dillard will be thinking about him for a significant amount of time. Uh, Wright was great. Only eight pass rush snaps, but had a sack and two total pressures, both of which came in two true pass rush sets. I love having him rush the B gap slide inside and have him rush inside. I really think he can be a fun player in there. Hurst had two pressures, a hit in a hurry. He had eight pass rush set, uh, true pass rush drops. He had those two pressures in those moments. Jordan Elliott is 68.5. Others who garnered pressures, two pressures, including a hurry from Zadarius Smith. Obani Ronquo gets a sack in this one. He has a, uh, that one sack and 22 snaps pass rush wise. Um, and then a pressure from Shelby Harris in 11 pass rush snaps for him. So 
Uh, all of that is really good stuff. They got after the quarterback and made his life absolutely miserable. Coverage grades. All right, Anthony Walker, 78.9. He was targeted. Let's see here if we can find it. It was not targeted all game, but he did have that pass breakup dropping underneath. You really like seeing that, man. That was such a good read of not, you know, that one forced incompletion. He doesn't bite on quarterback's eyes left. It gets back under the single receiver side dig. It was teach tape stuff there for a Mike linebacker. JOK is 77.0 coverage grade. He had two targets his direction and allowed two catches, and they went for negative two yards. Did a great job breaking up a screen pass uh, that had a tunnel behind it, and he did he did very well in this one all over the field, doing a nice job in year I think this is, what, year three for him, so great stuff. Denzel Ward, three catches allowed on seven targets for a total of 11 yards. He grades out well, has a forced incompletion. Great job running his hand right through the catch pocket on Traylon, D- uh, Traylon Burks. Dig route, deep middle, uh, broke that up, loved it. Um, so that was great to see. Grant Delpit, a 71.7. He had two targets in his direction, both caught only eight yards. Taki Taki, a 66.2. Rodney McLeod. 60.7, even though he wasn't targeted. Martin Emerson, um, two catches on four targets in his direction, 31 yards. He gets a 56.7. I think he is the the perfect, um, fearless, big-body corner for what the Browns like to do. Let's put it that way. He had one forced incompletion, did a great job. Um, you know, He had two stop tackles and pass uh, stuff thrown his direction. I, I really think he played a nice game, even though the coverage grade isn't great. Thornhill of 55.8 allowed one catch on four targets. He did not allow a yard. Okay. I think that's maybe the deep coverage that, that Tannehill missed on, but that was such a late throw. But the lowest grades of 46.9 for Cam Mitchell, 56 yards on three of three. Again, I don't think he played bad. I actually thought he was really fine in this one. I was encouraged by what I saw from him. Special teams wise, Anthony Walker has a tackle. He hits the highest mark. He only had six. Your core special teams players who had 19 snaps, Mike Ford, Matt Adams, DeAnthony Bell, 17 snaps. Tony Field, 17. Pierre Strong, 15. So you get some pretty strong grades from those guys. And I thought the kicking game was good. Um, in particular, the coverage was good. Again, they're kicking it out of the end zone every time. It's actually becoming pretty pretty damn rare to see a kick or uh, a kick return at all. You do see some punt returns in the, in the punting aspect. They only punted three times, a 42 net. Only one of them was returned for 13 yards. And um, one fair catch was forced. One went out of bounds. I thought he was fine. He had two kicks inside, two punts inside the 20. So didn't have any issue with that. Uh, Hopkins has six kickoffs. Only one of them was returned for 21 yards. That's a net win. Four touchbacks. One fair catch was used as well. So listen, special teams, net positive. Nothing nothing wrong with it, right? Uh, Pretty neutral. But when the defense dominates, the offense starts to take some strides. You can see how this becomes really fun. That's all I have for the comprehensive breakdown. If you are craving more um, visual aid-based understanding of this game, go check out the Chalk Talk. There was a two-hour, um, pretty much an hour offense, hour defense episode, almost right down the middle. It was pretty amazing. A two-hour show there on YouTube. You can find it, watch it, and kill some time if you're bored. I think it turned out really well, and I think it really gives you in-depth look at, like, like 25 plays offense, 25 plays defense, and what went really well for both sides. So check that out. Huge thanks to everybody for stopping by today. Thanks to Andrew Spade for being here. And thanks for the feedback on yesterday's episode, in particular the segment, the Fit Check, the Monday Fit Check with my wife. We'll continue to uh, do that. I think you guys seem to like it. Only on wins. I mean, no one wants a Fit Check on losses. No, that, that part would be pretty bland uh, and not all too fun when we're listening, trying to figure out how the hell the Browns didn't win. So won't do those on losses, but on wins... We'll do those, and then there's some other topics we'll probably hit on around the NFL as well. So thanks for the feedback on that. Uh, continue to rate and review the pod if you can. Always appreciate that, and, and always appreciate constructive criticism if you have it. Um, you know, I, I like learning how to get the podcast better according to what you guys are looking for. Join us at the OBR $1 for your first month. I say that every time on the way out the door. You won't regret it. Thanks for being here, guys. Have a fantastic Tuesday, and go Browns. Go Browns.